Thank you for checking into this edition of the Cerebral Entertainment Podcast. Before we get started, I wanted to remind all of you to subscribe to the CEP on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Google Play to keep the variety coming straight to your ear holes with the automaticity. And you can also download our episodes on the launching pad for all things Cerebral at thecepodcast.com. Anyone who needs to contact us for booking information, playlist submissions, or simply to say what up, you can do so by emailing us at cerebral at thecepodcast.com. And of course, we also greatly appreciate you showing us all of your love and support on the socials by liking and following the Cerebral Entertainment Podcast pages. Yo, welcome back to yet another edition of the Cerebral Entertainment Podcast. I am James, and across the table with me, as always, is my good friend Colt. You know it, man. How's it going? Uh, it's going. How you doing? Not too bad. It's yeah. pretty uh, snowy outside. It is. It's snowy. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. But, you know, it's nice. Nice to be inside. It's nice to be warm and really in front is. of the microphones to talk about stuff. Stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So we just got done recording our second episode with Scott McNally from Advices Radio. And, and how motivated are you right now? Man, I, I love talking to him. He's mm-hmm. just, he has a great way of breaking things down. Uh, so, in such a way, even when he's talking about complex subjects that are over my head, like on the Advices Radio Network or one of the shows there, he has a way about. Uh, speaking and breaking things down that still makes me feel like I understand at least you know part of it. But talking right. talking about the getting back to the basics uh, on the the series that we're recording with him for our show, uh, he's it's it's inspiring. You know, also on top of just helping me to understand uh, the basics uh, of things that some things I'm already doing. Uh, just, but it's been a lot of trial and error. Right. But it, so it kind of reinforces my previous actions, my current actions. But also, also learning some some new stuff and some new uh, ways of thinking about things and approaching things. Um, and looking forward to more episodes with him. Really having fun with it. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun, man. Especially for somebody like me who's been training for quite a while to, you know, just re- either use it as a refresher or to, you know, kind of revamp some things and think about how, what, how I'm doing some things and see if there's a way I need to tweak them or change them to benefit me. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to start putting some more thought and possibly effort into the circuit training approach. Nice. Uh, something I didn't get around to asking him. I'm going to ask you since you're right here in front of me and mm-hmm. it's convenient. Um, I, I just thought about, you know, he talked about circuit training as, as your modality of training, like say three days per week, if, if you're going to take that route. But could you not include circuit training as in like one day of your training and and the other days are targeted trainings? Say you're training five days a week, and you can train um, you know three days on your upper body, you know a day on your legs. And I just give myself one leg day right now. You, you know, give me some, cut me some slack. Leg day sucks. <laughs> and, and then do one day of circuit training just to get a, a holistic full body workout. Does that make any sense to you? I get where you're coming from, but it seems to me like it would be hard to structure it because of if you're already, you're talking like the push-pull split, right? So you're doing all your push push exercises one day, your pull muscles one day, and then your your leg day. And then you know, it's like every other day, maybe, it, you mean? And then including the circuit training in there. Right. Whatever, what, however your, your week schedule looks like, whatever your routine looks like. Yeah. Okay, so I guess... I mean, I guess you could. Uh, to me, I guess the thing that I'm thinking of is it'd be hard to structure it because of whatever. So say you do Monday push, Wednesday pull, Friday leg, and then you do Sunday all bo- or full body, right? Right. Um, what you just did two days ago 
So say you did legs on Friday, maybe still pretty sore when you try to do a full body workout on Sunday, and then you're going right back into it Monday again, unless you just continually do every other day, no matter what. So you do Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Sunday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, you know, or Saturday, you know what I mean? Gotcha. I I just, if you can structure it in a way to where like, say you have, uh, you know, everybody recovers differently. So Mm -hmm. say you have body parts like your arms and, or your upper body that you think recovers a lot faster you know, maybe you could structure it in a little bit easier around that day uh, versus like legs for me and you too, I know, take a lot longer to recover. Yeah. So it'd be hard to structure that full body workout closer to that day. I got you. So I'm going to put more thought into it mm-hmm. and I'm going to play with it a little bit probably in my routine. I don't know if it's going to work out or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just, a, it's an idea I never, I've seen people who come in and work full body mm-hmm. uh, and, and it's, I, I've wondered about it, but never put a whole lot of thought into it until I'd heard Scott talking about that being a particular modality of, of uh, an approach to right. your routine in the gym. I mean, I, I guess I, if I were you, uh, maybe think about it more on the weeks that you know you're going to be out of town or something like that, like with work. Yeah. You know, because it's a, you, you're guaranteed to get all the body parts in. Right. So if you know, you know, by now you, you can kind of structure your weeks out, you know, with your, with your job and the gym. So you kind of know uh, how you can structure that week for the gym. Right. Sure. Right. So, you know, if you're, if you know you're going to be out of the, out of the, town for three or four days in, in that week, maybe go in and do a circuit training uh, two, two days that week. That way you've hit that mu- every muscle twice a week versus when you're going to be in town all week and you can get in the gym every day, you know, then maybe target those muscles a little harder. Gotcha. Yeah. By the way, you ever throw that big tire around in the gym? <sighs> no. No? I've seen people do it. Yeah. And it I, I don't know. I don't have anything against it. I just never. Yeah. Just feel, I guess I'd feel weird. Okay. I don't know. Like, our, it's just because of our the way our gym's set up. Yeah. You know, it's like they set that, that new area up like a CrossFit area with the green turf and everything, which is kind of cool. Yeah, you know, I like it. And everything. Um, it's just in our area, those, those two types of gyms are two different things normally. Like yeah. you have your CrossFit gyms and you have your regular bodybuilding gyms, yeah. right? Um, you have people that cross over and do kind of both, but you don't see it very often. Right. Like even most people that are lifting over on that side are doing, uh, you know, deadlifts and stuff like that. Right. Right, Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. It it just it feels weird to me. And I've never been up that I've I've never been that that CrossFit type guy Uh to a lot of those exercise. Uh, I there's a lot of benefit to it and there's a lot of downfall to it. I just I feel like the downfall outweighs. I think people get injured a lot more. Mm. People push themselves past limits that they don't need to be pushing past and it's all and the good thing is the competition because all of it's competition pretty much whether you're just prac, you know, going in there and training or you're doing a competition or anything like that. It's all competition. But I I think I think it pushes people past their limits that mm. they don't need to be. Yeah. Pushing well, that's, past. That's a that's another I guess, mindset thing that people would have to work on. Mm-hmm. But that's also something I've been curious about is integrating at some point in time some cross, more CrossFit type of uh, exercises into my routine to some degree. Yeah. Just, just to get the... Because I think, I think one fundamental way that I lack for sure in the gym still, even though I'm, I'm really consistent for the most part, but um, is, is just full body. You know, I, I tend to get focused on certain parts, certain things, and it's it's hard to for me to 
I guess include be all inclusive for all my all my body mm-hmm. that that needs the work, you know. And I do think that there's a huge benefit to including all of your body, which is sometimes hard to do when you're just utilizing a particular kind of exercise, such as you know something that's targeted, something you know just for instance like a bench press. Even though I don't really I, I don't really do bench pressing as far as using the uh, the barbell, you know, I use dumbbells right. and things like that. But just doing that, it, it's a very focused, targeted thing. To whereas if you're lifting up a big fucking tire, just for instance, <laughs> you know, you're using so many body muscles and, and things like that that you just you don't even have to think about it. It just happens, right. you know, by proxy of you doing that movement and, and having to use your strength and engage those muscles right. all at the same time to make that happen so and not to tire anything in particular just just whatever i've also been, you know, been watching and looking more into the kettle the kettlebells and things like that to see if, if that's something i might want to include so down the road for sure it's probably going to be something that's going to be in my future to some degree right so that's just kind of why i was curious about it but yeah just uh like i said just structure it in a way that you're not overdoing it right and uh you know, if if you do a leg day and you're and you know two days later, like me, two days later is when I'm the sorest after a leg day. You know, you you probably don't want to put in a full body workout because, you know, a lot of uh, people don't think about it. But even like if you're doing a bench press or things like that, you're using your leg muscles a lot too. Like, you know, you may be popping your chest up in the air and you thinking you're using just your chest, but you're planting your feet into the ground hard. And especially especially when you get to those. Deep, those uh, last couple of reps, yeah, you're using your legs a lot, right? Even though you don't think about it, you think you're just, you know, draining the all the energy out of that muscle. But uh, you're, you know, your legs are getting a lot of work out of that too. Yeah. So I just, yeah, just oh, just overdoing it is what I think you need to, you know, kind of stay away from because even Scott had mentioned the overtraining thing. You know, mm-hmm. some people don't think that overtraining is a thing, and I think a lot of that has to do with genetics, and I thought I think a lot of that has to do with. uh you know, just, just how people train in general, what kind of exercises you're doing at all times. And if anybody's using any extra chemicals in their body mm-hmm. to recover, yeah. you know, so, you know, and that's one thing and not to get into do too deep with anything, but like when it comes to steroids and stuff like that, you know, it, it's not necessarily the steroids that make you bigger. It's the steroids that make you be able to train more to where you can recover faster to where you can build muscle faster. Right. That's mainly what the, that's the, the, the basic core of everything. Yeah. When it comes to that. So us, of course, we're very natural. Yes. <laughs> just eating steak every day for yeah. me at least. But yeah, yeah I, I just finding your balance and sticking to it mm-hmm. is basically all you, all you can do. And then pushing, you know, pushing the limits where you think you can and still be not hurting yourself or anything like that. Right. And just continuing from there and seeing the results. Yeah. Yeah. And I've had some some near, I call them near misses in the gym so far. I was doing some curls on the machine one day and pulled just a little bit too hard. Was pulling some some pretty good weight and just doing some bicep curls. And I lost my form as I was coming up, but wanted to finish anyway. So I, I, I tried to finish it out. And just like Scott was talking about earlier, you're, you're leaving yourself open for injury when you do that. Mm-hmm. And uh, I pulled some something in my backish neckish area you know right around in here and it was that burning pulled muscle feeling that you get and i was like oh crap you know so you're doing bicep curls you said uh-huh on the on the machine the machine or the actual the machine bar? yeah okay. the machine so as i was pulling up uh, i lost my form and kind of went backwards i guess and and activated i guess these muscles up here in my upper upper, upper shoulder gotcha um, into my neck and ended up pulling something back there somehow and it was uh it was just that feeling or that thought that I got. It's like, oh crap, you know, I I went and and 
messed up yeah. and now I'm going to have to live with this for a little bit. But so, fortunately, it only lasted for about a day and it was because I, I, I backed off. So it's, something I would suggest on that is whether it doesn't matter if you're just doing the machine or if you're doing uh, the, the same because, you know, you have that same pad and everything over on the other machine, but you have the free preacher curl bar, uh, right? Yeah, right. When you're doing that, make sure that your arm, that the round part on the top of that pad is right where your armpits are at, right? So you're, uh, you can either lower it or raise it up depending on where, where you need it to be at, but make sure your armpits are secure over that round part right. and then your elbows are touching the, the pad. Okay. Right. And just like I've told you before, you know, when you're doing a bicep or a tricep movement, you need to be thinking about your, no matter what exercise you're doing, you need to be thinking about your elbows being like a hinge point, you know, on a door that hint went on a hinge on a door doesn't it only moves out and in. It doesn't actually move right. itself, mm-hmm. right? So just like that, once your elbows are on that pad, now all you're doing is moving your forearms down and bringing your forearms back up mm-hmm. to work that bicep. So there's no pulling your neck, pulling your back, or anything like that up. You're only using your bicep for that workout. Yeah. The the problem it was it was a problem that I have since and Scott reinforced it again today too. Is that when you when you do get to failure, that's that's failure. Mm-hmm. You, it, when you activate other body parts, trying to finish out that that particular that one last curl or whatever it is, right. uh, that's when you're susceptible to those injuries. Right. And so, even if your form is perfect up until that point, if you try to force that last one, then you're you're asking for trouble. Right. And yeah, so trying to keep those those things in mind. There's a lot that goes into it. A lot of mindset that goes into to these things. But it's been something I've been putting a lot of energy and time into, a lot of thought into, um, as well as mindfulness. Still still spending a lot of time on mindfulness, uh, practicing my mindfulness uh, routine, trying to stay consistent with it and daily with it. Um, and it's, it's, it's yielding some, some really cool benefits. It really is. Some, some things that, like we was talking with Michelle Benedict not too long ago, Mindfulness Michelle, how I mentioned that a lot of the, the benefits to mindfulness you don't even. There's no way to anticipate it because you, there's no way to even imagine that that was a thing un, until you actually experience it. Right. And so it's really hard to even to describe. But just just some of the the I guess the the most poignant way or the the even the, just just the simplest way that you can describe it is that you become uh, you you come to a new level of awareness just with everyday stuff. You know, like I I did mention the washing of my hands. How suddenly I was just mindful about that. And it was an experience. And normally it's just, yeah, I'm washing my hands, big freaking deal, right? But at that point in time when I was washing my hands and I became present in that moment, it, at that point it was an experience. And things like that um, have been happening more and more for me. And it's bringing me to a greater appreciation for, for life, for each moment, and not being caught up in a bunch of other things that end up becoming that chaotic tornado in my head. But as I mentioned to you earlier, that was all. It was also I actually had to use it to bring myself back to my baseline um, while I was getting my oral surgery done. Before before you do that, I have a quick question. Uh huh. So the the whole mindfulness thing, we kind of talked with Michelle a little bit about it. How I'm going to say most people don't don't deal with mindfulness, don't really worry about it. Or I, I don't think you think most people is a good word to you. You think most is. I mean, I think a, probably it's it's a growing trend, but yeah. probably across the board, most people in our our culture, our society over here, they don't really mess with it too much, right? So we had also mentioned how we think a lot, most people, a lot of people think that it's snake oil, 
that mm-hmm. you know because like she i mean she's she got into the deep science about like built building new neural pathways in your brain and right. things like that right yes and you know a lot of people and i can see i can see why they would think that it's just snake oil it's you're just breathing or you're you know you're just you know, whatever um, do you think that people think that it's snake oil because we are in a society culture now that pills are just so readily available that they think that if it's not a pill that makes it happen, that it's not going to happen? Speaking of snake oil, you know, so a lot of the medications that we're using, antidepressants for one thing, it, it, there's studies after study after study that shows that the placebo pill is just as effective if not more so than the actual medication itself for right. a lot of people not, right. not for everybody across the board but for a lot of people that's the case but yeah to answer your question i think that's part of it i i think that it's something tangible you know or or surgery would be another one you know if if, if i can't take a pill for it then I'm, i need surgery for it if, if the doctor can't operate and fix it through surgery then I'm probably going to die or something. I, I don't know. But yeah, right. mindfulness is something I, probably to a lot of people. And also, like we discussed with Mindfulness Michelle, it's also something that's mystified. You know, it, it, it's, it comes along and it's, it's been paralleled to things like Buddhism and Hinduism and things like that. Meditation, you know, meditative practices come from Eastern religions, Eastern philosophies. Right. And for a lot of Western people especially, that seems like some, you know, some hoodoo, right? It seems like, oh, that's some more of that magic stuff that, that y'all talk about with your, with your elephant gods and your fat, you know, <laughs> fat bald guys sitting near a tree and not working or being productive in society, right. something like that. But it's not the case. There, there's more and more evidence, scientific evidence, that backs mindfulness. Um, but you mentioned even breathing. It's just breathing. Just breathing is huge. You know, people, I saw a study one time, and unfortunately, I don't have the kind of brain where I can just source all the things I've read. So you just have to take me at my word or just call me a liar or, or just don't believe me, whatever. But for the sake of this conversation, I'm going to tell you that I read at one time that most people do not take in the proper amount of oxygen that our body needs. Our, our breathing is too shallow for whatever reasons. Um, I don't remember all the reasons, but we just don't breathe deeply enough. We don't, you know, just by nature, we don't take the time to breathe in. The mechanics of our breath isn't what it should be. And so I know that when I practice what I call square breathing, uh, Michelle mentioned a different kind of breathing. Um, the she, four, eight, seven, right? Yeah, that's something like that. But uh, I, I was I, I usually practice the square breathing, although I've started using hers to see what kind of benefit I get from it. But square breathing is just that. It's... It's all the same. I think we've talked about that before. Yeah. Like you breathe in for four, you hold for four, you release for four, you mm-hmm. hold for four, and, and so on and so forth. It's, it's very squared. I've noticed, though, when I practice that, I actually I feel lightheaded. I, my, my body tingly. It, it's the oxygen that's going all through my, my body that I'm not getting otherwise. Mm-hmm. After which, I feel a lot of clarity, and I feel like if, if I were a little anxious or what have you, my anxiety level is more manageable which that in itself is huge, right? So, so breathing so, in and of itself, breathing's huge. So do you think like, with, you know, if you, she says, Michelle says that if you, you do these things for a long amount of time, like the, like I said, the, you'll build new neural pathways and things like that. Do you think as far as, like, do you think you can train yourself to breathe better? Like, do you think that it, it becomes a habit after a while, like how much, just even down to how much you breathe in every time you inhale and how much you breathe out every time you exhale. Do you think, and I wonder if that changes over time, like if, if, it, if it's always the same 
for for a person like all their life or i'm sure it has to change like right for somebody who's you know into into sports and things like that or is mm-hmm. always doing cardiovascular work and stuff like that right i'm sure they're getting better uh you know more oxygen in and out than somebody who's just sitting at a desk all day long right yeah that's absolutely correct so i'm wondering if like somebody who's sitting at a desk all day long if they can just if they can train themselves to just every time that they do actually inhale and exhale, that more oxygen is coming in and going out, they can benefit themselves. Yes. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's what it's all about. Even mindfulness is that way. You train, and something I always uh, train clients and staff is when you're in the throes of uh, anxiety or, or panic or something like that, that's the absolute worst time to try and start to learn something new. Right. Okay? Your, your mind's not going to let it. It's in panic mode. It's in survival mode. And so it's not going to happen. You have to have this thing practiced already. And so that's why breathing is so important. So people can train themselves to breathe more properly, and they should. But there's something also, there's something important about intentional breathing because that's that's what that's what connects your mind to the breath. And so and that's that's not even necessarily going fully into the weeds with mindfulness. It's just being conscious of of, of your breath, of breathing. It, it's a it's a calming effect on on the panic response in your in your in your brain. Um, it, it helps to lower the uh, the stress hormones in your body. And so it's a connection that, that we all need that some people have innately. They have it inherently. They don't have to really worry about it so much. Right. But for a lot of people, they don't realize they have the power within themselves to help manage their own anxiety, at least to some extent. Now, people with a, a pretty hardcore anxiety disorder, a panic disorder, uh, even things like obsess- uh, obsessive compulsive disorder and things like that, these are very pervasive and very strong, powerful disorders of the mind that uh, is very difficult to control even with you know mindfulness practices and things like that, they also need medication. I'm not saying medication is never needed, but it's not needed nearly as much as what's prescribed. Right, and that's because well, you think the pharma the pharmaceutical companies are promoting mindfulness techniques? No, absolutely not. They right. want you to take this pill because that's why it makes them billions and billions and billions of dollars. Absolutely right. Same with with a lot of doctors and things like that. Although the tide is turning to some degree. But yeah, the, these things. There's something in, uh, that's that's important about the intentionality of breathing, um, and so that's still important regardless if you're a, a sports cardio person or if you're just trying to learn how to breathe uh, intentionally for the. Or I guess just trying to learn how to breathe more efficiently and effectively, uh, and you're sitting at the desk all day. Intentionally breathing, there's still something very important about that. But learning how to breathe more effectively is very important for anybody just because we don't get enough oxygen. Right. So just breathing, you know, that's that's what people need to realize. Just breathe I mean, you you breathe to live, you know, and so it's important to learn how to breathe better, regardless. Right. Right. right? So back to your uh your oral surgery. Yeah. So I, I had uh long story short, as far as that goes, I just had some receding gum lines and um, it was going to cause some future problems if I didn't get it taken care of. And by taking care of, I mean getting skin or whatever it is. I guess it's the inside of my mouth grafted from one spot to another. So she had to cut some some of the uh, tissue from the roof of my mouth and suture it down onto my gum line to... Um, uh, to repair that gum line that was that was receding to a point that was going to cause problems, um, so a pretty a pretty pervasive procedure. But uh, I wasn't the, the, the procedure itself didn't really bother me. You know, I, I've unfortunately had some dental work done in my day. I've had just about everything that you could possibly imagine done, and so the, just the fact that she has sharp objects and she's you know sticking needles in my mouth didn't really cause any kind of response, anything abnormal. What happened was. 
she used a lot of anesthesia. She uh, numbed both sides of the roof of my mouth, both sides of my lower jaw with a total of six shots. Okay. And so my entire mouth was numb. Couldn't feel anything. My tongue, nothing. It was just completely numb. And it's hard to explain how difficult that is to manage. So, and then later I found out by the assistant that the, the anesthesia also contains epinephrine, which causes you to, it's kind of like an adrenaline right. rush, right? Mm-hmm. So there was, there was all of that. But then while they were working in my mouth, I would try to swallow and I couldn't. And that not being able to swallow was causing me to panic in my brain. And the the assistant, because I was talking to her after, I'll get to that in a second, but um, she mentioned that you can't even, she couldn't even tell. But in my mind, I was, I, I felt like I was, you know, going to die. And so, a, lo- a lot of wicked things were going through my head while that was happening. So you said a lot of anesthesia. You just mean the, the numbing agent. That yes, use, right? okay. local anesthesia. Oh, okay. Right. I, I, thought, I thought you were talking about like actual anesthesia to put you out. I'm surprised no. they didn't put you out for something like that. No, they just, they try not to do that. It's, it's yeah. you know, it's, that's really, I don't know how dangerous it is, but if you don't have to go to that level, then they choose not to. Right. But uh, I know I had that done when I had my uh, wisdom teeth right. removed. Yeah, they had actually put me out. Did they? Which is a really weird thing. Like I had to watch a video in the beginning saying this is all the things that can happen while you're in here. Yeah, you know, now probably go- probably won't, but it can. <laughs> yeah, now go to sleep. Yeah, now go to sleep, <laughs> and then they, uh, you know, they they put an IV in my arm for the anesthesia, yeah. and then uh, they you know they do the whole counting thing to you to count and they put the thing over your nose and it was it was so weird because I remember like l- the exact part of the wall that I was looking at when I went out and then I just woke up and I was in a chair like I had, they had actually got me up from the chair that I was in moved me to the waiting room and I was sitting in the chair with just like my mouth full of that cotton that cotton stuff and the gauze. It, it was just so it was just so weird yeah. And, yeah, that is a weird feeling going under like that. Yeah, I think my wife was hoping that I was just going to say some stupid stuff or do something stupid, but I, I didn't. The only thing I did was like I repeated myself quite a few times on the way home. Like I'd say the same thing over and over again. Like I didn't Not know remember. that I just said it. Uh-huh. Yeah, <laughs> but now that would that would have been. I've only been put under once, and that was when I was a kid. I had my tonsils taken out. Yeah, I've, I've had that done too. Ever since then, when I had my wisdom teeth cut out, things like that, I've, I was just numbed. You know, that, I've never been wow. put out. I know That's crazy. most people are put under. I for some reason I I have not been. But a- after having all that done, most of those things are just not a big deal to me. Mm-hmm. It was the not being able to swallow. I yeah. would try to swallow, and it like the mechanics wouldn't happen. Like my throat wasn't working. And uh, it caused me to panic, almost like not breathing. Mm-hmm. And so all this was happening while she was doing God knows what inside my mouth, right? It was a pretty, it felt pretty rough, although I was numb. You mm-hmm. could just feel the pressure and the movement and you could hear the noises and things. And so, uh, but that, that still wasn't bothering me. It was the not being able to swallow, but I had them all up inside my mouth the whole time, right? And so they, they got one side done. And finally, I got up and I said, can I get some water? You know, so she started putting water in the back of my throat. And I had I said, I got to stand up. So I stood up and started pacing. I started pacing the floor. Uh, and, and she's like, are you okay? I was like, I'm just, I'm panicking right now. I was like, I, I can't, I can't deal with not being able to swallow. And at that point in time, even though I was standing up and they were taking a break, it, the panic wasn't going anywhere. And I've never experienced anything like this in my life. Were you able life. to talk pretty easy? No. 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 Okay. I mean, my, my mouth wasn't working hardly at all. Nothing about it was. But um, the panic kept building and building and building. 
And so finally it occurred to me, you know what, I need to, I need to try to be mindful. You know, um, listening to the, the mindfulness app that I use by Sam Harris, he says, you know, at, at some practices, sometimes we will sit there and he'll say, sit as straight as you can, erect as you can, and don't move a muscle. I don't care if you itch. I don't care if it hurts, whatever. Don't respond to it. Just notice the pain. Just notice the itch and, and don't react to it. And what that does is it helps you to deal with something and to kind of remain calm about it, right? So I started, I started, I closed my eyes there at the dentist office and started breathing and, and just put myself away from, from the world. And it took me a minute, you know, but I was actually able to bring myself back down out of that panic response, back down to somewhat of a normal, a normal baseline. And I kept having the assistant put water in my, in the back of my throat and things like that. So I could, cause that helped me swallow when she would just put it to the very back of my throat, then things would work. Right. Because the the uh, it would trigger the the natural involuntary response of my throat to make make it swallow, and so that was good. Uh, and then I knew the anticipation of having to do the other side. She she had to do both sides of my my lower jaw, and the anticipation of that uh, was also creating some anxiety. But I continued to be mindful. I just noticed the numbness in my mouth. I noticed the not just the not being able to swallow, but the panic that it was causing. And I was just curious about it. I became curious about that and studied it. And uh, after that, you kind of, it, it's, you kind of gain control over that. And so, um, and there was, a, there was a lot during that panic, it was a lot of stuff that was going through my head. You know, it, it to me, the, my brain, I know it thought it was, that I was dying. Mm-hmm. You know, it, I, it thought I was suffocating. I couldn't breathe. And it triggered some things. Um, even thoughts about my dad when he was passing, some of the things that he was going through, and all this was going through my head. It just panic, just continued to build and build and build. And I've never experienced anything like that, you know. It, it, I found it interesting that I experienced this after having been practicing mindfulness for for some time now and being physically active and feeling good, feeling healthy, all that good stuff. Then this happened, so it kind of seemed counterintuitive. But at the same time, I'm glad it did happen when. I've been practicing mindfulness and have been healthy in my in, in my routines and, and everything like that, my nutrition, uh, because I don't know, it would have been a lot worse had I not had those tools in my tool belt. But I, I sat back down and on the other side, she started working and I didn't experience anything like that. I mean, I was still a little bit anxious, I'm more anxious of being anxious than anything. Right. But I would just, I continued to have her give me water as much as possible and I quit trying to swallow I just let it go. Yeah. You know, letting letting it go was the key. You just got to let it go. I wasn't suffocating. It was it was my brain tripping out basically, you know, because I wouldn't start to panic until I tried to swallow mm-hmm. and then all hell would break loose in my and just the alarm bells would start going off. So I just found that interesting. I wanted to share that because it it was uh, mindfulness and practicality in in use, but not just in in use as in, you know, being aware in the moment. It was actually it brought me out of a a pretty intense mind state right that uh the alarm bells were man they were going off big time and like i said i've never experienced anything like that it was yeah. crazy i was thinking about that something like that the other day i don't remember where i was at but some, something had really pissed me off and i, I was just thinking like my mind brought it back to i know that i'm pissed but i and i know that i don't need to be pissed about what's going on right now but my brain's not letting me not be pissed right now. You know mm, what I mean? Yeah. Like, and I was, for some reason, I thought about like the work, the work that you do and how not, not just anger, but anything like a lot of these people, they don't have that 
that separation between the two, right? So like their actions that they take or some of the thoughts that they have and stuff like that doesn't like they don't re- they don't know like they can't separate the two, right? Mm-hmm. They they don't know that there's a that this is what's going on, but this doesn't have to be what's going on. Right. They're just like there. That's this is what's going on, and it's yes. supposed, this is how it's supposed to be. Yes, and I just thought about that. Like it's 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 hard to think that you have a different mind that your mind is different from somebody else because you just think that everybody's everybody's here, everybody's doing the same thing you're doing, right? Mm-hmm. You know. So I don't know. I I just I thought that was an interesting topic because I was like I I can even though I'm pissed, I can separate it. And know that I don't need to be, or I don't have to be, right? But I am, yes. And it's going to take time for it to go away, or whatever. But some people out there, they have that feeling, and they just there's there's no separating it. Yeah, that in and of itself, I don't I don't know if you realize it or not, but that is you're on your way to to mindfulness there yeah. with that type of thinking, right? You are not your thoughts, yeah. And that's that's really it's exactly what you're saying. But until you actually step back and think about it like that, until you analyze that mm-hmm. notion, is that you don't even have the concept of trying to think about it, arguing with yourself, or arguing with anybody else, that you are not your thoughts. It doesn't even occur to you that that's a thing. Right. You know, but but it's very true. You're not your thoughts. It's, it's just that it's a thought. And that thought will subside and go away just like the next one and just like the next one. Mm-hmm. You know, um, that's, that's something that it took me a while to get to understanding the concept when people say that there is no such thing as, as a self, right? Mm-hmm. What they're saying is, look, you know, once again, Sam Harris, look for yourself. When you're, when you're in mindfulness practice, um, turn consciousness in on itself and look for that thing that you're calling yourself, you know, of course, we all have bodies and we all have what I this my term or my phrase is that we are slave to our experiences. Uh, and, and that just means that every response that we have is based off of the experience that we had in our past. Right. Every single thing. That's why when we're babies, we start out as more of a blank slate because we haven't had any experiences other than being in the womb. Right. Right. And we don't remember those. Our, our, our brains aren't uh, formed enough to have any memories built up yet. But uh, everything that as you go along, everything, every way that you respond is, is to any stimulus, uh, both internally and externally, is a result of the experience that you had before. Okay, so to me, that, that is, if, if, there, if you're going to try to pinpoint a self, it's just your experiences. That, that's all it is. There is no one hiding behind your face it is their point. Now, it, it kind of bleeds into whether or not you believe in a soul, a spirit, an afterlife, and things like that. That gets a little more, a little deeper into the into the weeds. But uh, that's what they're talking about. And it took me a while to un- even understand that concept. What are you talking about? There's no self. It's like, I am I am me. I know who I am, you know? But it, it's a way to, it's just that you, you are not your thoughts. That's that's exactly what it is. You, you, you are not your thoughts. It is just your thoughts. Now, they're yours. Right, if you want to get wicked with it, yeah, you want to get kind of confusing, but just because you are a, just because you're a thinker doesn't mean that you are your thoughts, right? So I guess I'm thinking about like your, re- where does your reaction to something that happens come into play there though? Like it because that's got that's got to be based off of your previous interactions or your previous memories too, right? Exactly, based your re- off reaction based on your experience. To, yeah. So that's weird because like you can have the same exact scenario twice in your life and you maybe react to it differently. And that second time you're probably going to react to it differently than you did the first time. 
if the first time didn't go the way you originally wanted it to. Perhaps. But if the first time it went fine, then you're going to react the same way the second time, right? Sure. So let's say, let's say, uh, try to think of a good, a good example here. The first time that you ever got bit by a dog, right? Mm-hmm. So there was this dog. You didn't really think about it biting you. Maybe you were a child, a younger kid. You didn't really think about the dog biting you because you hadn't experienced that before, right? So the dog comes up and it bites you. A, a natural human response that we don't think about, it's involuntary, is that we, we'll, we'll pull back, we feel pain, all of a sudden we feel fear, which fear, fear is a, an innate uh, survival instinct that we all have as human beings. It's mm-hmm. a very basic, very very basic emotion right. of survival. And so we, we get scared, we pull back. So the next time, it, it might be a year later, might be five years later, might be 20 years later, um, who knows, but you, maybe you see a dog that's similar, maybe it's just a dog period. So you know, probably within a closer proximity of time, but you see another dog and now your brain is considering whether or not it's going to bite you. So you approach that dog a little bit more cautiously, right. a, little, a little differently. You know, it's like a, a, a kid who goes up and, and they think it's okay just to go up and pick up a cat and, and toss it around like a doll until the cat scratches them. Right. Well, the next time they're a little more cautious about that. That's just based off of their experience. So the brain is constantly computing these things. Right. You know, so that we, we are, uh, another way I've heard it explained is that we are not so much as a static entity as much as we are a process. Human beings are processes. We're just a continuous process of experience and, and, and uh, resulting from stimuli. But we're, uh, of that, we're, we're a continuous process of experience. And, and then uh, we have some uh, consciousness. We have consciousness about us mm-hmm. to be aware of these experiences. And so it adds that extra element. Uh, because a frog ex- experiences, a frog is, he, res- he uh, responds to stimuli in his environment. Right. But it doesn't mean that he's necessarily, I mean, a frog is conscious in, in the way that a frog is conscious, whatever it's like to be a frog. I don't know what that is. Nobody does. But it's the same for, for human beings to that extent, except we have that that higher level of consciousness where we know and we can expound on those things. That's interesting because it goes deeper. Like uh, you probably remember in the gym uh, last weekend, I told you that I, I kept thinking about like my memories going to shit and that I was thinking about that episode of Black Mirror where that guy has the chip in his, you know, behind his ear and he can, you know, all his memories, he can just like put up on a projector or whatever and he can erase memories and stuff like that. Right. Yeah. And, you know, whether we're moving towards something like that in real life, who knows? It's hard telling with the AI technology we have now and stuff. Right. But it, that that's interesting to think about when, when you're talking about what you're talking about because we're talking about you have an experience, you have a re, uh, an automatic reaction to that experience, that same thing happens again later. Now you have a different, you either have that same reaction or you have a different reaction based off of the reaction you had the first time, right? If you were able to delete that memory of having that, you know, it, I'm I'm just curious on what what would ha- how that would play out, right? Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, it would have to be just like the first time it ever happened, right? Every time, if you you know, if you erased it every time that it happened, it had never happened in your brain. That'd be crazy if you only only had the memories in your brain that you right. knew. Like if you could just cycle through and be like, I don't just delete, delete, delete. Uh huh. I just I don't know I. The, the older I get, the more I feel like you can only have so many memories in your brain and you can only have so much, so many things. And there's just so many things from when I was like five that are stupid little things, maybe not five, but you know what I mean? Yeah. When I was a lot younger, there mm-hmm. were stupid little things that I remember, but sometimes I can't remember what I ate for lunch today. Well, and the thing about memory, IMO, is the impactfulness 
uh, of of the experience itself. Right. So yeah, it might have seemed like something stupid when I was six, seven years old, but it was impactful because I didn't have that many experiences yet back then. Right. And so that's why the, the brain still uh, stores that memory because of the impact it had at that time. Right. You know, and I can look back now, and I have I have some pretty early memories. I, I'm pretty sure I can remember definitely back to four when I was when I was four years old, maybe even three. Wow. And so uh, they're, they're fuzzy, but I, I mentioned those like to my mom. And uh, she puts them in a time on a timeline, and uh, so it, so I have a really good memory as far as going back that far. But I'm like you, I can't remember what I what I talked about five minutes ago. Right. Honestly, you know, to try try and bring up that 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 uh, information is almost impossible sometimes, depending on the, the impact, because it's much more difficult to make an impact on me now because I've been through so much. Exactly, you know, right. and there's and there's of course. 41 years worth of information that's in my head that's, you know, not that it's all in there still, <laughs> maybe somewhere rattling around, but it's not like I can recall all that. But the most impactful stuff, um, it, it had to escalate into being really impactful now in order for it to, to really stay into my working memory, to right. be able to use it. Right. So hmm. the impact of the memory is what, uh, what really counts. Right. Speaking of impact, what about this Michelle Carter sentence? Crazy, yeah. So let's, and let's talk and about very, Michelle Carter. Give us very, the story. Very controversial. Yes, tell us uh, about it real quick. I mean, just a basic synopsis is just she something we don't know personally, and I don't. I know we've tried to look and research, but we haven't been able to find. But basically, this girl was sending text messages, a lot of text messages to this eighteen-year-old kid. Or what? Well, I guess was he eighteen? He was eighteen. She was seventeen. It was her boyfriend okay. at the time. Okay. Yeah. Basically. uh trying to get him to commit suicide. Yes. She was not she was not like actually interacting with the suicide or anything like that. It was basically just her pushing him through text messages to commit suicide. Right. Now there may have been a lot of interaction outside of the text messages as well that we don't know about, but this is just the documentation that we have to trying trying to get him to. And like I told you it it just felt so weird to me because of the it, how he was reacting to her saying you need to do this now you need to do this today and he'd be like he'd say well i'm nervous or whatever and she'd be like you know if you don't do it today you're never going to do it and these kind of things and i'm just thinking who in the world says those kind of things to somebody yeah you know what i mean mm -hmm. i mean so i guess the overall uh thing that i i wanted to talk about with this is just for one, it took five years for her sentence to come in right right mm -hmm. and she ended up only getting uh 15 months in jail, right? which was lowered from two and a half years. And then she's, I guess she's, I think it said she's eligible for parole after like eight months or something like that. Insane. Yeah. So the, you know, the question is if, if she wasn't actually there when he committed suicide, um, if she didn't actually have a personal hand in helping him do it, right? should she have been sentenced at all? Right. Um, or should she, we kind of talked a little bit off air about this and, and I, I, I agree for the most part with you as far as the, the whole, okay, the whole free speech thing, right? Mm -hmm. You can, you should be able to say and do anything or not do, sorry, say anything that you want because going back to like we were talking about reactions a while ago, you choose how you are going to react to that, um, saying, saying something offensive, same concept here. She yeah, she said a lot of things through text. She probably said a lot of things on the phone with him and stuff like that too. But was it, it was his choice to do what he did. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I, I, I don't know how, 
I don't want to say I don't want to know how, how smart this kid was, but I, I don't know what his background's like or anything like that and what led him to be in that position to where he was at to where he had wanted to kill himself or if he even decided this on his own and told her and then she pushed it or if she was the only one that pushed the whole thing. Right, and I think that's the case. Without knowing too much about the background of the story, what it appears to be is that he was wanting to commit suicide for whatever reason. Uh, Maybe he was just chronically depressed, whatever. It's also important to note that apparently she was on some pretty, uh, pretty heavy dosage of psych medications herself she was having some psychiatric issues as well okay how does that play into it uh not sure because she seemed pretty lucid in these texts and i'll read a couple of them here in just a moment but uh so basically what was happening was he was talking about committing suicide it, this is the way that i read it and uh she was just urging him to go through with it and just really she wouldn't leave it alone she kept pushing and pushing Another important note on the psychiatric aspect of it is that she continued to text him after she knew he was dead. Okay, talk well, but, like but, he was in heaven and she he was getting these texts. Oh, I didn't see that. Yeah, there's 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 a lot that was uh, a, a lot that was going on. Now, in in my mind, after at that point, she's probably realizing, oh shit, I just you know I'm probably going to get in trouble for this. Right. So I better you know I better get on the crazy train real quick and make sure people understand that, you know, make sure they have the uh, the idea that I'm just nuts yeah. so that I don't get in so much trouble, which may have actually played into her favor too. I don't know. but And then she was apologizing to him and explaining her actions and then uh, reporting about earthly events to him in heaven. So she was, it was like she was talking to him still. Gotcha. You know, so very, very, she, she, she seems definitely off, off balance herself. She's definitely off kilter. Yeah. That's regardless, that's got to be the case, you know. But for me, like we were talking about earlier, it really, it really goes back to free speech, like what you were alluding to. Because I, I am a strong proponent of free speech across the board. I just don't think any words that come out of my mouth should have any legal consequences. Now, my actions, that's a different story. But, you know, and there's the, the super classic case of yelling fire in a crowded theater. Is that okay? Well, you know, no, I guess, right? But but where does it end? You know, where's the line? Yeah. So if, if I tell someone that I, I hate you, you know, there's a big thing about hate speech. And by the way, there's a great Netflix documentary called Alt-Right uh, about the Alt-Right with Richard Spencer and uh, Jared Taylor and some of these other guys who are very racist, right? Extremely racist. They're, they're, mm-hmm. they're the clan the of today, basically, but the clan doesn't look like what it used to. Right. Um, but they're very much white supremacists. And uh, it surprises me how, how strong that following is nowadays. I had no idea. There's some rabbit holes you go down even on Facebook, and it, it amazes me that that stuff is actually still out there in 2019. I had wow. no idea, right? I, I guess I'm just, I live in my bubble where, you know, <laughs> people just aren't like that anymore. But anyway, yeah. free speech is, it, it's, it's so important. Where do you draw the line? If I say that I hate someone, even, even if I say I hate a group of people, which I don't, but if I say I hated this particular group of people, so what? You know, what, what does that mean? So what if I say that? Why is hate speech a, a, a thing? Why is that a, a phrase, a term? Now, if I go out and I cause somebody some harm, absolutely. I am completely liable for that and should be responsible for that. And so that's the conundrum that I get into with this Michelle Carter. Because let me read you some of these texts. She says, uh, Conrad, and he says, hey, you there? And uh, he says, sorry, I fell asleep. And um, then she messaged back and says, it's okay. Why haven't you done it yet, though? He says, I'm too messed up. She goes, what are you talking about? He says, my head. She says, you can't think about it. You just have to do it. You said you were going to do it. Like, I don't know. I, or I don't get why you aren't. And he's like, I don't get it either. 
And she says, so I guess you aren't going to do it then. All that for nothing. And he's like, I'm just confused. Like, you were so ready and determined. Uh, No, that's what she said. I'm just confused. Like, you were so ready and determined. He says, I'm going to eventually. And so that just goes on like that, just like a normal conversation, but she keeps pushing him. I want to know what her rationale was. Was it just to, to toy with someone's head? Was it just to be evil? And what? how much responsibility should she get? Because honestly, I, I wish her the worst. I wish her the, a gruesome death. You know, mm-hmm. that's just me being honest, because that's just a terrible thing to do with someone who's already imbalanced, right? To and push th- them well, over that, that, that edge. That was my question, too. Like, how imbalanced was he? Before you know, before all this happened, because it sounds to me like she is in his head yeah. completely and basically controlling his every move, and and I, I guess he, it seems to me like he feels like she was the end all be all. Yeah, and if this is what she thinks he needs to do, then this is what he needs to do. Apparently, she was the uh, the straw that broke the camel's back, at least because yeah. he was continuing to put it off. He didn't know. Yeah, and he was kind of in that. Uh, just in in, in the, uh, the uh, contemplative stage, in between, you know. But she, you know, she said um, at one point, "No, you're not, Conrad. Last night was it. You keep pushing it off, and you say you'll do it, but you never do. It's always going to be that way if you don't take action. Just constantly." And this goes on and on and on. Okay, so let me ask you this: If you take this whole scenario and you break it down into one simple thing, to where I say simple, it's not really, but simple thing to where if I told you right now, go kill yourself. You go home and you kill yourself. Is it the same exact thing? No. Why? Because I didn't push it. Yeah. Be, but 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 I regardless, I still I still told you to kill yourself. Exactly. Which is what she's telling him to do. And this is where this is where the the you got to try to find those boundaries. The line. Where is the line? Because it wasn't just. And it, once again, like you mentioned earlier, this was his choice in the end. I don't find her responsible in the end for his actions, but she's she's so complicit. It's what because this is this is why it's a conundrum for me because like I said on one hand I am absolute free speech you know speech is speech it's just words any words that come out of someone's mouth should not have legal consequences it just shouldn't right um, you could have defamation and things like that, that that might cost money if it causes somebody to uh, lose uh, money because I defame their character that that you know I, that has some argument there too but. It's just the fact that her malicious intent, just the way that she kept going and going and going and going, it, there's text upon text upon text of her continuing to push. It wasn't just a simple, yeah, you should go kill yourself, haha, LOL, and then he goes and does it. She was she yeah. was taking someone who was psychologically imbalanced, and she was pushing those. She was manipulating him and saying, "Oh, well, you're not going to do it anyway, so just you know, just forget about it." It's like a girl saying, "I don't care." A guy asking, "You know, do you mind if I go out with my buddies tonight?" Oh, I don't care. Go ahead. Well, you know that means, right. but you better not. You know, right. that's that's. I don't want to say it, it's a couple speak kind of how we speak to each other mm-hmm. without actually speaking directly. Very passive aggressive. Right. And so she was being overly. I mean, just super passive aggressive. And just goading him and telling him, "You got to kill yourself, kill yourself." I just want to know what her motivation was. Right? What is she? Why does she want him dead so badly? Right. And I haven't seen where she has said the reasoning or anything like that. And I'm sure. Either. I'm sure there's a reason. Sure, she's not saying that on purpose. Right. Because, yeah. So I don't know. I, I just I know you're saying you got to find the line, but that seems impossible because like it would it would mean that she would have had to have said. You need to kill yourself and then stop saying those things at some point and not just kept insisting and insisting. But to me, it seems like the same thing. Whether I tell you once right now, you should go kill yourself. And and then I but then I follow it up by, oh, never mind, you'll never do it or something like that. 
and then you go kill yourself, it seems like the same thing to me. Regardless if I'm being insistent, whether, whether I say that today or I say that every day for the next month. You're, you need to go kill yourself. You need to go kill yourself. You need to go kill yourself. It's being being insistent on it, but how is that any different from the first time that I ever told you? Well, that? because of the insistence, because of the the continuing, uh, the badgering, or just even the the continuing to uh, highlight the topic, continuously continuously pushing that button. But, but, but do you feel what I'm saying? Like I, I do, because, because really you're saying if I t- if I say go kill yourself right now, and and you do it, I shouldn't get in trouble for anything. But if I tell you 10 times, you need to go kill yourself, and then you go do it, then I should get in trouble for it, even though I've, I said it once, and I can't get in, I shouldn't get in trouble for it, but I say it 10 times, and I do. Well, because I'm not taking you really seriously the first time. The, the more you say it, the more I'm really taking it seriously that— So this is more of a mental thing, is what you're saying. It, it, it's, it's manipulation. It, okay. it, it, she's, she's actually causing him in his mind. It's, she's not just presenting an idea. She's—, she's Festering the idea in his head, she she keeps bringing it back and manipulating his thoughts, okay. and that's that's assumption because he's dead and we can't we, you know, we can't read his mind in the first place, even mm-hmm. if he if he would have made it, um, unless he would have admitted what had actually happened in his brain. We we don't really know, right. but in my brain that that's where I, that's where it comes, and it, it's almost impossible to define. It's like the Supreme Court justice, I don't remember which one, but the one that said I don't. It's hard to define pornography, but I know it when I see it. You know what I'm saying. Uh, th- that's how I look at this. Th- there's just such a nefarious intent to it that there's something sick and evil about it. You know, there's something that if she just would have gotten off scot free, it would feel yucky. You right. know, but but I understand it's it's very difficult also to define something tangible to really say you did this wrong and this is this is against the law and this is why you have to spend 15 months in jail right. cuz most people that i see on the internet said that's not even close to being long enough most people want to hang her you know burn her at the stake which right. is understandable right well she uh okay so the next question is you're saying that it's hard to define but do you think that so she was charged with involuntary manslaughter correct do you think that's the right conviction i think that's probably the best thing according to the law that they can that they can convict her of, um, because once again, this isn't this is something that's. But how is it? Cons- I don't. Not just brand new. I it's, guess the the word involuntary throws me off in this scenario. Uh huh. Well, I agree with that. It it seems like more like voluntary manslaughter, right? Yeah. But what they do is they weigh. You you kind of already have something in mind as far as a time frame of sentencing, and involuntary manslaughter fit that time frame, gotcha. the ideal time frame that they want her to spend in jail. Makes sense. I think that's more along the lines, other than it being, you know, that they voluntary manslaughter like you, I believe that's more of a fitting sentence if you're going to sentence her with something. Mm-hmm. But maybe the time frame was out of the scope of what they uh, just kind of. Uh, intuitively felt like she should spend. Right. Because I think they're having probably the same conversation as you and me. Mm-hmm. She didn't put a gun, She or he didn't shoot himself, but she didn't put him in that, that truck involuntarily or that car and turn it on, turn it on and, and, and close the garage door and have him die of carbon monoxide. Right. Um, she didn't force him to do that. She was just very, very manipulating, and she was messing with the head of someone who was not capable of making a better decision, apparently. Yeah. You know? And chances are, he had already decided he was going to do something. Because I don't think, see, if, if I had a girl that was telling me, even if I really cared for her previously, and, and then suddenly she started telling me to, to kill myself, it's not going to happen with me because I don't have suicidal tendencies, right? right? So he already had something going on. 
It's, right. it's I, I don't believe that she that she caused him to be maybe it, I guess it's always possible. Okay, but so, I don't see that happening to me. So what if what if this whole scenario happened and he didn't kill himself, but he went to the law with all these text messages and stuff? What do you think would have happened? Do you think she would have been sentenced or anything? Uh uh-uh. uh No, because he didn't actually follow through with right. it. Right. That's crazy. Yeah. That's crazy. See that's that's where I guess that's where the, the you you had the one of the one of those foggy lines of, of freedom of speech, you know, is it like, like this? It, it shouldn't be, I guess, back to the, the classic scenario. It shouldn't be, you shouldn't get in trouble. It shouldn't be punishable for someone to be in a crowded theater and say, fire, everybody run. Okay. If nobody runs and nobody gets trampled, you know, you know, tell the guy, Hey, stop, stop being a dick, you know, stop <laughs> trying to get people riled up. Right. Right. But if you are, if you do that, you're in a crowded theater and you yell fire, everybody run, and you run, and children are trampled, and old people are trampled, and people are hurt, uh, maybe some people die, then maybe you should suffer the consequences of that because, in a sense, you caused a, a physical harm to people at that point in time. So yeah. that's the way I would relate that to this case yeah, as well. I, I get it. It's just such a foggy line because it's like you, I can say whatever I want, but... Me getting in trouble for in trouble for saying that is based upon how you react to the other me people's reactions. That. See, I well, I think you have to have an expectation. Like if I say I like um, I like eating chocolate, but then someone goes out and they eat six pounds of chocolates and they die of a you know <laughs> di- diabetic <laughs> shock. Am I responsible for that? <laughs> no, because there there has to be an expectation of intention there. I think you have you have to be able to through evidence try and um, support the idea that that was my intent. But if you knew they were diabetic and you were text messaging them, telling them over and over eat again, chocolate, eat, that eat that chocolate, chocolate. Oh, you that won't chocolate. even eat that chocolate. Yeah. That mm-hmm. then <laughs> you're not man enough to eat that chocolate, bitch. <laughs> Then that's it. That's nefarious, uh, you know. That's yeah. malicious. Yeah. There's intent there, and I think that's what I'm feeling off this case. Okay, you know. And keep in mind, this case, like you said, it's five years old. It took them this long, and she spent all this time free. Yeah, they, they decided not to jail her until she was sentenced. And that's probably because they were trying to figure this shit out. They had no idea mm-hmm. something. This is brand new. Not even not just brand new, but this is I feel like so unique. This kind of shit just doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. But it, but it also you know it's also kind of reminiscent of. Uh, Cyberbullying, you know, people are getting in trouble for cyberbullying. Yeah, um, and, and so you could say it's free speech for me to tell this kid that you know he's fat and he's ugly and you got no friends and you should go kill yourself. Right, that happens all the time. Right, people get bullied and, and then kids have actually killed themselves because of cyberbullying. You know, and so how do you stop the how do you stop that from happening? You know, um, you got to start holding people responsible, I guess. Uh, and it's it's a slippery slope, very much so, because I don't want other freedom of other freedoms of speech to be squashed because of assholes out there doing but, malicious but, things. But see, that's the same thing. Like the cyberbullying thing. Like kids, if even if they're cyberbullying, even if the the kid that they're cyberbullying doesn't do anything, like doesn't kill himself or anything like that, those kids are still getting in trouble. Like cyberbullying is a thing that they're uh, you know heavily against. True. Right. True. But you're so those kids are getting in trouble. But you're saying in this scenario, if she would have done what she would have said all the things she did through text messages, but he didn't kill himself, that she still wouldn't get in trouble for it. Yeah. Now maybe that's just an age thing, like you know, you're, the cyberbullying. You're not really dealing with the law, and unless 
you know, there is a death or something like that, yeah. suicide that's involved. It's more of like maybe at a school level or something like that that they're getting in trouble with. I think age has something to do with it. Gotcha. I also think that he was, the with Michelle Carter's case, um, he was intentionally talking to her. They were like boyfriend and girlfriend as far as I can tell, mm-hmm. right? He, he chose to do that. It wasn't like she was... Did, at least by all accounts from the evidence I see, it's not like she was like stalking him out, forcing her way into his phone or, or you know, anything like that. He was in a, in, in a mutual relationship with her. Right. And so there wasn't any bullying per se, not at least not surface level bullying. It was more of what I would just consider manipulation, you know? So I think, I think that also would play a part in how you approach that versus, you know, child on child cyberbullying or something like that. Right. You know, um, at any rate, it, it's a it's a wild case and it's eerie. It's eerie, but there are people out there who are susceptible. You can think about some like Jim Jones. I don't know how much you know about Jim Jones, and the, mm-hmm. he was in a cult. He was the leader of a cult, and he started out over in I think Philadelphia, somewhere around that area. But they moved out to California, and he grew this big church. You know, eventually, because it was recognized as a cult because of some of their practices and just the the secrecy and different things like that, he moved down to. Um, where at somewhere in South America, Central South America. Oh, okay. Yeah, I know that. I know and, and they all drank the Kool Aid, right? Kool-Aid, yep. So um, he he manipulated that many people. Forget what the number was, hundreds, I think, hundreds in the hundreds or in the two hundreds, something like that. But he manipulated that many people to poison themselves and die uh, before he took a gun and shot himself because he decided, hey, that poison stuff—that's not a good way to go. All these people are around dying very slowly and painfully. People manipulate other people. And so I think what we're doing here with this Carter case is trying to find those lines of how you punish or, or even even how you how you define what it is that, that the person is doing when they're doing harm to somebody else and then what kind of punishment you that you because honestly I'm I'm one of those people who I don't feel like fifteen months is it just doesn't seem like enough. Mm-mm. It doesn't seem like enough. Mm-mm. Even though I'm all about free speech and there's those those foggy boundaries but yeah craziness craziness so does the uh if she was on psych meds does that change your feelings at all like do you do you think that certain meds could um kind of you know if she was in that mindset that she wouldn't be she couldn't pull herself out of that mindset and that's why she was so and uh uh, just she just pursued it so, yeah, she, as much as she did. Right, she was um, so adamant about it. Adamant. That's what I was looking for. She, uh, it, it, it's a factor, but it, you know, the, in our legal system, I work with people who have, uh, you know, declared not guilty by reason of insanity in GRI. Right, those folks do time in a state hospital, and then they, when they're released, it, it, they have it even worse when they're released because they have what's known as a case monitor, who still monitors their their life and makes sure that they're making decisions they should. And if they're not, then they can revoke them and put them back in the hospital if they need to. So they have to walk a line. Right. Um, so there there are systems in, in our system, there, there are things in place where if you do have a mental disorder that causes you to do some wicked things, and sometimes they, they do, mm-hmm. right? There are some people who suffer from some legitimate psychoses and they do things that will blow your mind. Um, if that's the case with her, then... Still, yet fifteen months isn't enough. She needs to be in a in a state institution somewhere, getting the help that she needs, and but she still needs to. We need to be protected from her. Society needs to be protected from her. Right, right. That's that's more than anything. That's what it's about. And so, 
Um, I, I don't know enough about it to know if she's just because it, it doesn't look like she pled insanity or anything. Right. Which is probably the smart thing on her part because if she's just going to get 15 months, then she can walk that out and, mm-hmm. you know, she'll be back on back in her life. And, and hopefully she just has a really, really guilty conscience for the rest of her life, I guess. Right. I don't know. I don't know if, enough about the story, but man, it seems sick. It seems so twisted to do that to somebody. Mm-hmm. But he, he had to have been sick in the first place or else he, I don't think he would have done it. I, you have to think, or just easy, easily manipulated, one yeah. of the two. Yeah, craziness. Yeah, so let's uh, let, let's wind down on a happier note okay. than this. I, yeah. I want you to tell your story that you had, I mean, you told me a couple of weeks ago probably, um, the last snowstorm that we had had and stuff, and uh, I don't know, it just, when you told me the story, it really got me thinking. I think it'll do the same thing for a lot of listeners too. Okay, well, so the wife and I, and all of our, all of our wisdom... We decided we were going to drive through a snowstorm. We were going to try to beat the snowstorm and go to my in-laws, which is about, I don't know, miles-wise, but probably, I don't know, it's about an hour and 10 minutes from where I live, right? Uh-huh. Uh, so we, we took off driving because I had driven all the way from Kansas City that morning anyway for, for business and, and drove back home and had driven through snow half the way from there. But when I got to my hometown, the snow had subsided, and so I thought, well, now's a good time. So we just packed up in the car and we went up there. But about the halfway mark... We hit the snow, and we didn't just hit snow. This was a snowstorm. It got chaotic, and people were scurrying, trying to get home. It it was crazy. So at, at any rate, we had to make a decision at the halfway mark. Do we keep going or not? My father-in-law called and said, you guys need to turn around and go home. My sister-in-law called and said the same thing. Uh, but my daughter was in the back, and she was like, I want to go to Grandma Papa's. And so she started crying, and... I had made the decision. I was like, okay, let me find a place to turn around. Well, as I looked around, there was chaos everywhere. Cars were going off into the ditches. Uh, there was just there was nothing good happening around me, and there was no safe, good place to even turn around at that point. And I was on four lane highway, you know, going into town, into uh, Festus, and so I got behind a plow, a snow plow, a truck. And he was clearing the way just enough to where things weren't quite so bad on the trail I was going. And so we just kept pushing forward. I I just made a decision. I'm just going to keep pushing forward. So we did, kept pushing, kept pushing for as long as we could. Stayed behind that plow for a long ways until I finally had to turn off to go west. Uh, and then had to go down this back road. It was crazy. No plow had touched it yet. There There were cars off on the side of the road still. We just kept pushing and pushing. I mean, there were people sliding everywhere. It, it was absolute. The, the the whole area had descended into chaos. It was the most vehicle wrecks that I think the state had ever recorded in one storm at one yeah, time. This was like a storm where like people were, you know, they were just literally just leaving their cars and getting up and, and leaving their cars in the middle of the highway. Yes. And pe- some people were stuck for like 18 hours. Yes, inside of their cars. Yeah, inside of their cars. Yeah. Like, Mo, uh, Modot was actually going around, get, putting people, putting gas into people's cars for them and stuff yep. like that too. It was yep. that bad, just so they could stay running, right? Stay warm, yeah. And so eventually, we made it to a, a larger highway, uh, and it had become deadlocked. Uh, it's, actually, we got off of the smaller road and got onto the highway. And then uh, it became deadlocked, and we had just enough room to get back off of the highway, back on the on the road. And we went to eat. Uh, we got up to the door, and they were closing at, at a barbecue place. And I was like, oh, crap, they were closing. So I turned my family around, and the lady knocked on the door. She said, no, you know, come on in. So they let us in anyway. 
um, so we could get some food. And they were all trying to get home too, or trying to get somewhere. Right. You know, as the snow was just piling up. By by now, I don't, there was there was a foot on on the ground easy at this point in time. It just dumped on us just mm-hmm. out of nowhere, and uh, people were just trying to get home from work. It was it was kind of a chaotic panic type of atmosphere, right. and, you know, uh, just with everybody, but. Now, so, so, let me ask you this. Uh-huh. Were you at any time during this where you panicked or no? Because you're confident in your driving and things like that, right? Mm-hmm. That's why. Okay. I, I was just curious if, if at any point you were, you were getting nervous that you were going to be one of those people in the ditch or you, or anything like that. No, I mean, I, I don't want to sound too overly confident because those things do cross your mind. Mm-hmm. And, and to say that I wasn't nervous might not be the appropriate characterization. I was white-knuckled the whole way, super focused on the road. My major concern was everybody else, though. Right. Because uh, I just think a lot of people say this, but... I just think that other people don't know how to drive when it comes to conditions like that. I think not everybody, I shouldn't generalize, but there are enough people on the road who just don't know how to handle like like taking a hill mm-hmm. on a slick spot, how to how to, you know, negotiate getting to the top of that hill. There's just too many people who make too many mistakes mm-hmm. and they and they cause problems for everybody else. That was my main concern. Uh, my own driving is usually not my concern, not that I'm perfect by far, but I, I know enough and can zone in and focus enough to not make a lot of those same mistakes. Right. So I was white knuckled and it, it was tense. I was I was focused the whole time. Had to keep my kids from, you know, getting too loud in the back seat and things like that. And when it was come time for a, a tough spot, like I had to take a hill or or there was a lot of traffic coming around, I was afraid someone was gonna slide into me. I'd have everybody shut up and say, like, Okay, Daddy's gotta focus now. Be quiet. <laughs> so I did that. But we got to the barbecue joint, they let us in, we ate, but they were still closing, so we couldn't stay there. I mean, we just needed respite. And I was waiting for the traffic to move. It was deadlocked on the highway. Come to find out, that traffic would be deadlocked on that highway for the next 14 hours. Right. So it was a very, very fortunate decision to get off the highway. And it happened because we had to go to the bathroom and and the, the kids needed to get out for a while. So we just happened to do that. So we went to a, a motel and decided, okay, let's let's just go check it out. I didn't really want to drop the money on a motel. We were what about six miles away from my in-laws at this point, six miles away from my destination. Right. So my mindset, let's just get back on the highway. It'll move eventually be slow. It will move and and we'll take it and we'll get, we'll get to where we're going. That's just always my mindset. Right. Through a storm of any kind or whatever. I'm just always like, I just keep pushing. That's the way I do things. But I had my wife and my kids with me this time. And so I had to take that into consideration. So we go and check the first motel. There was a long line. My wife went in and asked, is there going to be any rooms? She's like, I don't know. By the time you get up to the the counter, there might not be. So she comes back out and tells me that. I'm like, okay, well, then let's just push forward. So as as we're driving, there's two motels right next to each other, two hotels. So I drive from one to the other because I was going around into the parking lot. And I said, you know what? Let's just go check this one just in case. So I pulled in the pavilion. I let my wife and my daughter go in. My daughter comes back out and said, Daddy, we're staying here tonight. Nice. So I was like, okay, well, that, there's my decision. I don't mm-hmm. I don't have to make it. It was so fortunate that that she pulled the trigger on that, like I said, because we'd have been sitting on the highway for twelve hours with two small kids, right? And it was just it would have been terrible. So we stayed the night there. the The important part of this, I know, there's a lot of a lot of uh, story just to get to the main point, but the main point was the next day we were uh, my daughter and I went down for breakfast at the motel, and it was just an amazing amazingly open atmosphere there was there were no the place was packed there were no no rooms available no nothing people were even sleeping in the lobby uh, because of the storm and uh, there were no strangers though everybody was just like so friendly they were just 
so open and they would ask questions like, so where, where are you from? Where are you going? You know, uh, and the people from all over the place were just congregated in one spot. And there were, like I said, there were no strangers at that point in time because uh, we were all in the same boat. We were all in not necessarily what you would consider a disaster, but kind of the same psychology to the, to the event because when when something like that strikes, people just have this innate quality to to come together, you know. And uh, it was something that it really struck me, and it stayed with me ever since. It excited me. For the, it 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 re- made me realize that humanity is still you know they're still out there. That there's still some common decency in the world. That and I wished at that point in time that we could do this all the time. It's like any other time I come to this motel and there's a, a group of people eating breakfast. We're not talking to each other. Right. I mean, we were just sitting there, me and my daughter, and she mentioned, hey, you didn't get me a fork. I was like, okay, I'll get you one in a second. Before I could even get up, a guy that, that heard her had brought her a fork. I said, here you go. Just acts of small, random acts of kindness that you just don't see on a daily basis was just everywhere. It mm-hmm. was happening all the time. Everybody was talking to each other and telling stories and asking if they were okay. When, when we were trying to get out, so, uh, you know, we had guys help us push out of, of the parking lot. Just random people were just all over the place, just waiting for something good to do. Right. You know, and it, but it took a, a massive snowstorm to bring that about on our society, in our community like that. Mm-hmm. And I just, it, it struck me that I wish that that could happen more often. But the fact that I got to experience it in that time uh, was very profound for me. And it caused me to want to be a better person. It, it caused me to want to be um, a better community member, a better neighbor, a better stranger. You know, when, when I see someone I don't know, I'm going to be kinder to that person now because of the atmosphere of, and, and the community of kindness that I experienced on that. So that's why it was so profound. Right. I, in like some, something like that bleeds over into, I, I had three experiences within the past uh, couple of weeks and, and they were the smallest things ever, but for some reason made an impact. Number one, I was driving into Schnook's parking lot, right? It was cold, windy, snowy, icy outside. And this woman was just getting ready to cross, you know, across the way that I was driving through. Mm -hmm. And I, in, you know, you could tell she's like out in the freezing cold. You could tell that her, you know, she wasn't having a good time out in the freezing cold walking up Schnook's. And I just stopped my truck and waved her across. And then she just like had a big smile on her face and then just walked past like, you know, because I had just let her go through. Right. That took one second for me to do was just to let her pull, you know, and I got to put a smile on her face. It was, it was just, it was a really weird situation. Mm -hmm. Same scenario with, uh, um, Another another driving incident where I was I was driving down the road and there was a car that was sitting there waiting to turn and nobody was letting her letting them turn to get across they were just kept on going mm. and I had stopped and let them let them cross and big smile and a big wave to me and stuff and I'm like it take it takes nothing to do to do the do those little things right and the, the last thing was uh, I went to uh, go sign some papers for our in- to do our income taxes. And I walk in, and I, I, I knew I wasn't going to be in there very long, so I left my my phone in the truck. So, of course, you know that odd feeling, like, when you don't have your phone now? Absolutely. When, when, you, when you go in somewhere, and you sit down, and you're, like, just trying to find something to read on the wall or something to look at, right? Yeah. Well, there's this older guy, probably in his 60s or something, sitting across across from me, and he just starts talking about the weather to me. And I just start talking back to him about the weather and, you know, had a conversation with him. And I was like, this feels so weird that 
it, it doesn't seem like this is a thing anymore. Right. Right. It's like majority of the time, everybody would have their phone, their face stuck in their phone mm-hmm. or something, not acknowledging that there's other people in the room with you right now. Right. You know, so I, I don't know. Th- those are just three scenarios that I, that I had noticed that, um, I might not have intentionally done it to make those people feel better, but just me doing it and seeing the expression on their face made me feel better Yeah, because I did something for somebody else, even though it took a second to do. I think the impact, once again, is something that is important in those situations. Mm -hmm. And that last one is very profound to me, the fact, because I hear a lot about how technology has taken the kind of our humanity away from us, Mm -hmm. taken our attention away from other people. And that's, that's a very, that's one of the most stark points that you could present Mm -hmm. is the fact that if you would have had your face stuck in your phone, like normal, like anybody nowadays, you wouldn't have even had that conversation. And it was a menial conversation. It wasn't nothing that was groundbreaking or anything, but it's two human beings actually interacting. Right. You didn't have to text him to say, yeah, weather's nice out today or whatever. Right. It's like Gary Vee always says. He says that technology isn't necessarily hurting us, it's exposing us. Yeah. So, you know, when you're with your significant other in a restaurant and both of you have your faces in your phones, Apparently means you ain't got nothing to talk about. Right. That's exposing what your relationship is actually like versus actually hurting you guys. Gotcha. Right? Interesting. Makes sense? It does. It does. Very interesting. Well, I'm glad we ended on a positive note. For sure. That's better. It, it makes me feel better because ending on Michelle Carter was going to leave me pissed off and confused. <laughs> Bummed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Thank you again for listening to the Cerebral Entertainment Podcast. want to give a huge shout out to some of our new listeners in Ireland and the United Kingdom and Canada and Australia and, of course, in the United States. Remember that word of mouth is a great thing, so please keep coming back and telling your friends and fam about the Cerebral Entertainment Podcast and all the variety that you hear here. I mean... Why not? Why not shout it from the rooftops? Tell them all about us, okay? Uh, And remember to uh, check us out on the socials, all the socials. Go find us. We love you guys. Until next time, please remember to keep those big, beautiful brains of yours warm. We'll see you.